Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast. Hope everybody's well. I am Rob, your host as always. In episode 11 I'm going to talk about something that I alluded to way back in the first episode, and that is Germany in Africa and the genocide of the Nama and Herero people. Now if you've listened to the episode, you will have heard some of the imperialism in Africa by European powers. And if not, then maybe go and listen to that first, as I will be skimming certain points that I have spoken about previously, like the Berlin Conference and the Scramble for Africa. Yes, that was a shameless plug. Now, I know the title will drum up visions of the Holocaust or World War II, and believe me, topics of that scale will come up on this channel in future. But I would like to talk about Germany's exploits in Africa, and yes, kettle calling pot burnt ass, a British man on his soapbox about Germany killing people when Britain were the worst for it. The hypocrisy isn't lost on me, and again I will talk about that in the future episodes. But this story, up to a few years ago, was never acknowledged by Germany, and it sort of had an air of obscurity around it. This listen could be distressing to some people, so please listen with caution. There are descriptions of death, mutilation, rape and racism. So without further ado, sit back, relax, for more Dark History. So as always, I'll start with a little bit of a brief history to sort of set the scene. Germany first dipped a tentative toe into African waters in the 1680s when the Magaviate of Brandenburg, then leading the border realms of Brandenburg-Prussia, persuaded limited imperial efforts in West Africa. The Brandenburg African Company was chartered in 1682 and established two small settlements on the Gold Coast of what is today Ghana. Five years later, a treaty with the King of Arguin in Mauritania established a protectorate over that island, and Brandenburg occupied an abandoned fort originally constructed there by the Portuguese. Brandenburg after 1701 became a de facto part of the Kingdom of Prussia, who pre-used this colonial effort until 1721, when Arguin was captured by the French and the Gold Coast settlements were sold to the Dutch Republic. It wasn't until Germany's unification in 1871 that they began to invest in the so-called Blue Water Navy and gave themselves capabilities to defend or supply German holdings further afield. In 1884, pursuant to the Berlin Conference, colonies were officially established on the African West Coast, often in areas already inhabited by German missionaries and merchants. The following years, gunboats were dispatched to East Africa to contest the Sultan of Zanzibar's claim on the sovereignty over the mainland of what is today Tanzania. Settlements in modern Guinea and Nigeria's Ondo state failed within a year. Those in Burundi, Cameroon, Namibia, Rwanda, Tanzania and Togo quickly grew into lucrative colonies. Together these six countries constituted Germany's African presence in the age of new imperialism. When the Herero, who were a cattle herding tribe, migrated into Namibia during the mid-18th century, they arrived taking up vast swaths of the arable but scarce northern grazing land for their cattle, which the original inhabitants, such as the San and the Kohoko, didn't like too much. 
It would be the Cahoco who would suffer the most at the hands of the Herero, who gradually pushed them out of the lush farmland and into the dry, rugged hills of the south and east, taking the Cahoco as slaves to tend to their lucrative farming land. The Herero were pastoral people, whose entire way of life was centred around their cattle. The Herero language, while limited in vocabulary for most areas, contained more than a thousand words for the colours and markings of cattle. Herreros were content to live in peace as long as their cattle were safe and well pastured, but become formidable warriors when their cattle were threatened. By the time the scramble for Africa rolled around, the Herero land had become known as Damaraland, and the Nama, who were equally pastoral people, lived just south of Damaraland. In 1883, Aldolf Lerdritz, a German merchant, purchased a stretch of coast near Lerdritz Bay from the reigning chief. The terms of the purchase were fraudulent, but the German government nonetheless established a protectorate over it. At that time, it was the only overseas German territory deemed suitable for white settlement. Chief of the neighbouring Herero, Chief Maharero, rose to power by uniting all of the Hereros. Faced with repeated attacks by the Kohwashin, a clan of Kohokos, under Hendrik Whitboy, he'd signed a protection treaty on the 21st of October 1885 with Imperial Germany's Colonel Governor Heinrich Ernest Goering. That is the father of the convicted war criminal Hermann Goering. The Germans did not cede the land of the Herreros though. This treaty was renounced in 1888 due to the lack of German support against Whitboy. Also, the Herero people would consider their treaty null and void with the Germans because German soldiers would rape and violate the women and the girls of the Herero tribe, which the German hierarchy refused to punish. The treaty would be reinstated in 1890 when the chief died and his son and heir, Samuel Maharero, signed a great deal of land over to the Germans in return for helping him to ascend to the over-Herero throne and to subsequently be established as the paramount chief. As colonisation grew, with more and more German settling in Namibia, they began to look down on the African natives as lower and second class citizens. This notion was cemented further as German officials would continue to subjugate the Herero and Nama people, pushing them into reservations, continually forcing unequal treaties as they pushed for a colony predominantly inhabited by whites. A new German Africa. Where have we heard that before? Under German colonial rule, colonists were encouraged to settle on land taken from the natives, with the land stocked with the cattle also taken from the natives, and taken care of by the natives, and turned them into slave labour, causing a great deal of resentment. This wasn't just resentment, this was a deep-seated hatred for the newfound colonialists. For the Herero and Nama people to go from free land-owning, slave-owning herders to slaves was painful. These people cherished their livestock, they were the whole status in society, and that was lost to the new German ranchers who came fresh off the boat to Southwest Africa. This slap in the face would sow the seeds for revolt. Tensions would crank up another notch when in January 1903, a German trader known as Dietrich was walking from his homestead to a nearby town of Amaruru to buy a new horse. Halfway to Dietrich's destination, a wagon carrying the son of a Herero chief, his wife and their son stopped by. In a common courtesy, 
the chief's son offered Dietrich a ride. That night, however, Dietrich got very drunk and after everyone was asleep, he attempted to rape the wife of the chief's son. When she resisted, Dietrich shot her dead. When he was tried for murder in Windhoek, Dietrich denied attempting to rape his victim. He alleged that he awoke, thinking the camp was under attack, and fired blindly into the darkness. The killing of the Herrero woman, he claimed, was an unfortunate accident. The court acquitted him, alleging that Dietrich was suffering from tropical fever and temporary insanity. Eventually, the governor did intervene to the detriment of his own personal standing and had the public prosecutor appeal Dietrich's acquittal. The second trial took place in which Dietrich was found guilty for manslaughter and imprisoned. The move prompted violent objections from German settlers who considered Ludwig a race traitor. In 1903, some of the Nama clans rose up in revolt under the leadership of Henry Whitboy. A number of factors led the Herero to join them in January 1904. One of the major issues was land rights. In 1903, the Herero learned of a plan to divide their territory with a railway line and set up reservations where they would be concentrated. The Herero had already ceded more than a quarter of their 130,000 square kilometre territory to the German colonists by 1903, before the Atavi rail line running from the African coast to inland German settlements would be completed. Completion of this line would have made the German colonies more accessible and would have ushered a new wave of Europeans into the area. During this time, the situation would be exacerbated in November 1903 by the settlers' new policy on debt collection. The Herero had got into the habit of lending large sums of money off settlers at high interest rates over a long span of time. Much of this debt went uncollected and accumulated. As most Hereros had no means to pay, Governor Ludwig, to correct this problem, intervened decreeing with good intentions that all debts not paid within the next year would be voided. In the absence of hard cash, traders often seized cattle or whatever objects of value they could get their hands on as collateral. This fostered a feeling of resentment towards the Germans on the part of the Herero people, which escalated to hopelessness when they saw that the German officials were sympathetic to the moneylenders who were about to lose what they owed. Racial tension was also at play. German settlers often referred to the black Africans as baboons and treated them with contempt. In 1903, the Herero saw an opportunity to revolt. They had heard another tribe, called the Bondelswart, were engaged in a firefight with the Germans over the registration of guns. This firefight would ultimately cause seven German casualties. The straw that broke the camel's back for the Herero was when Governor Ludwig was sent south to take personal command, leaving almost no troops in the north. In early 1904, the Herero began their revolt, initially killing between 123 and 150 German settlers as well as seven boars and three women in what was described as a surprise attack. The timing of their attack was carefully planned. After successfully asking a large Herero clan to surrender their weapons, Governor Ludwig was convinced that they and the rest of the native population were essentially pacified, 
and so withdrew half of the German troops stationed in the colony and left for the south. Led by Chief Samuel Maharero, the Herero surrounded Okahanja and cut the railroad and telegraph links to Windhoek, the colonial capital. Maharero then issued a manifesto in which he forbid his troops to kill any Englishmen, Boers, uninvolved peoples, women and children in general, or German missionaries. The Herero revolts catalyzed a separate revolt and attacks on Fort Namutane in the north of the country a few weeks later by the Ondonga. A Herero warrior interviewed by German authorities in 1895 had described his people's traditional way of dealing with suspected cattle rustlers, a treatment which during the uprising was regularly extended to German soldiers and civilians. He said, We came across a few coissants, whom, of course, we killed. I myself helped kill one of them. First, we cut off his ears, saying, You will never hear Herero cattle lowering. Then, we cut off his nose, saying, Never again shall you smell Herero cattle. And then we cut off his lips, saying you shall never taste Herero cattle. And finally we cut his throat. Ludwig knew that the wrath of the German Empire was about to fall on them and hoped to soften the blow. He sent a desperate message to Chief Samuel Maharero in hopes of negotiating an end to the war. In this Ludwig acted on his own, heedless of prevailing moods in Germany which called for bloody revenge. But the Herero refused. Lutwein was forced to request reinforcements and experienced officers from the German government in Berlin. Lieutenant General Lothar von Trotha, brilliant name by the way, was appointed commander of Southwest Africa, arriving with an expeditionary force of 10,000 troops on the 11th of June. Lutwein wanted to defeat the most determined Herero rebels and negotiate a surrender with the remainder to achieve a political settlement. Trotha, however, planned to crush the native resistance through military force. By late spring of 1904, German troops were pouring into the colony. In August of 1904, the main Herero force was surrounded and crushed at the Battle of Waterberg. Survivors of the massacre, the majority of whom were women and children, were eventually put in places like Shark Island concentration camp. Shark Island was the worst of the German Southwest African camp. In a natural harbour lies Shark Island, which then was connected to the mainland only by a small causeway. The island is now, as it was then, barren, characterised by solid rocks carved into surreal formations by the hard ocean winds. The camp was placed on the far end of the relatively small island, where prisoners would suffer complete exposure to the strong winds that swept Luderitz Bay for most of the year. These places were where the Germans forced them to work as slaves for the German military and settlers. All prisoners were categorised into groups fit and unfit for work. The pre-printed death certificates indicated death by exhaustion following prevention were issued. Many Herrera and Nama died of disease, exhaustion, starvation and malnutrition. Estimates of mortality rates at the camp were between 45% and 74%. Food in the camp was extremely scarce. 
consisting of rice, with no additions. As prisoners lacked pots and the rice they received was uncooked, it was indigestible. Horses and oxen that died in the camp were later distributed to inmates as food. Dysentery and lung diseases were common. Despite those conditions, the prisoners were taken outside the camp every day for labour under harsh treatment by the German guard, while the sick were left without any medical assistance or nursing care. Many Herero and Nama were worked to death. Shootings, hangings, beatings and other harsh treatments of the forced labour were common. Prisoners were also used for medical experiments and their illnesses or their recoveries from them were used for research. Experiments on live prisoners were performed by Dr. Bowfinger who injected Herero that were suffering from scurvy with various substances including arsenic and opium. Afterwards, he researched the effects of these substances via autopsies. An estimated 300 skulls were sent to Germany for examination, in part from the concentration camp prisoners. In October 2011, after three years of talks, the first of 20 of an estimated 300 skulls stored in a museum at the Sharids were returned to Namibia for burial. In 2014, 14 additional skulls were repatriated by the University of Freiburg. Natives' corpses were desecrated further when a zoologist, Leonard Schultz, would use them for experiments. Now that's what I call chilling. Africa, zoologists and dead bodies. I can only imagine what they did with them. All this pain and torture in numbers equates to the death of approximately 50,000 to 65,000 Herero and 10,000 Nama between 1904 and 1907 by German military forces in German Southwest Africa, which was around 85% of the population, almost wiping these people off the face of the earth. Now I know that the Herero and the Nama people ultimately fired the first literal shots in all of this and some people in internet land would see this as a direct declaration of war but what option did they have? It seems like the Germans eventually would have taken them apart piece by piece anyway. They had already started to systematically take their way of life apart with land grabs and cattle confiscation. So what option did they have? The use of rape, execution and just general cruelty was excessive. Like I said at the top of the episode, this sort of imperialism wasn't a niche in German Southwest Africa. It happened in South Africa with Britain and the Boers, where the very concept of the concentration camps were invented. The destruction of natives across Africa was widespread. French, Italians, Spanish, Belgians all did it. Anyway. Thank you for listening and your continued support of the podcast. If you could go to your respective podcast provider and leave a positive review, it would be massively appreciated. If you have friends or family who you think would enjoy this podcast, please feel free to share it with them. As always, if you would like to contact me with suggestions for episodes for the channel, the channel's email address will be in the description. Also, with the links to my TikTok page and YouTube channels, which do have regular uploads. I will also link the channel to the Instagram page. You can also reach me there and I will get back to everyone who DMs me. Thanks again for listening to the episode. Please join me for episode 12 and more dark history. <laughs>